Thanks for listening to Connection Church's podcast. Today's message is a part of our series, Home for the Holidays. For some of us, Christmas time can trigger an array of feelings like nostalgia, joy, and togetherness. And for the rest of us, the holidays can be summed up in two words, dysfunctional family. Whatever side you're on, this series will show you how to become a better husband, wife, mother, or father, and how to build on these relationships by putting Christ in the center. Good morning, Connection Church. How's everybody doing? Top that sermon illustration. <laughs> Nobody got anything on that, do they? They're good actors. No, I'm kidding. That was for real. Um, <clears throat> if she'd have said no, it would have been a dramatization of what does not go right. So I wasn't really prepared for that. I was hoping for a yes. My name is Joey Fennell. I serve as a care pastor here at Connection Church, and uh, we're starting a new series, and I'll tell you about that in just a moment. But we do really continue to celebrate what God did last week. 14 people coming to know Christ. We had one this morning in the 9 o'clock service who went from death to life by making a first-time decision to follow Christ, which was awesome. 61 people baptized last week, which is just absolutely wonderful, and we celebrate that. We also celebrate our continuation of one and one and uh, uh, this thing that we're doing with one and one is so awesome as we give um, to to give us a permanent facility to meet in. For every dollar that's given, another dollar is put to the side for missions and to help people locally and abroad. Um, and it's just it's just an awesome thing to celebrate. And we will continue that march forward. And you hear a little bit more about that as we go throughout this morning. So we do want to celebrate that, but. As we begin, I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5 to a set of scriptures that um, sometimes gets avoided according to what translation you're reading, but I'm going to go with the most difficult one to hear um, just to just to make it a little bit more fun, right? And Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 21, we've heard these verses, we've quoted them to each other from time to time, we've said them out of spite, we've used them out of meanness. We've used them out all kind of different ways, but we're going to look at what these verses actually mean over the next couple of weeks um, and, and get a good handle on it. So Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 21, follow along with me as we read. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing, her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their own, their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Let's pray together. God, we are thankful for the morning. We're thankful for cool air and rain that you've blessed us with this week. And God, as we tackle some, uh, some difficult subject matter, we pray, God, that you will be glorified. 
that no one person or group of people has gains any glory from this service, but that you are glorified and we see your intentions for each one of our lives. God, we ask that you break us where we need to be broken, mend us where we need to be mended, work through this word this morning, God. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. The most profound thing I'm going to tell you today, men and women are different. That's free. All right. Let's pray. No, um, I did want you to know that in case you weren't aware of it through a biological point, or if you have a husband or a wife that you've been with for a long time, you have probably picked up on it, that we are very, very, very different. We can see this in so many different ways, but, but one of the ways I see it is, you know, I, I used to travel a lot in ministry and, and I would travel with, um, with guys from time to time, if we would do retreats or, or those types of things, and then done these fun trips from time to time. I love to go to the races and, and a good friend of mine and I, we, we will do these things from time to time. And when we pack to go somewhere, it doesn't take very long because I know what I'm going to take. And I, I know if I'm overnight you know, I, I may take a change of underwear, but it's not totally necessary. So I, it's just a, it's not a very big deal to pack. Now, when women pack for trips, it tends to take a little bit longer and more space um, because there's something that comes up with ladies and they'll say this to you that if you question, why in the world do you need so much for just two or three days? And they will say that they need options, options. Well, my friend, when I've gone to pick him up to go on a trip, has never got in the truck and with two or three bags. And I said, dude, what did you pack for? He's never looked at me and said, well, I need options on our trip. It's never happened. I would probably throat punch him. But it, I mean, if, it, if he said that to me, but it just doesn't happen. So we are very different. And those differences from time to time create a lot of frustration, a lot of frustration in our marriages. And we get frustrated by things all the time. Just this morning. Just this morning, I, I made a little bit extra time to get here because I was a little bit gamey, a little hungry this morning. I said, man, I'm going to get me something to eat. So I go to, uh, to God's restaurant, McDonald's, and I, I pull up there and I get in line. And there's a couple of cars in line as normal on a Sunday morning. And I pull up behind this lady who's sitting to take her order. And as I pull up there, I'm thinking, man, sausage McMuffin, that's my favorite. Number two. You know, and I'm, I'm ready to order. Now I look up on the screen or on the, uh, the menu there and they've changed it up where it's two sausage McMuffins for $3, two for three. It's like God ordained the morning already. It's going to be a wonderful day. So I'm sitting there and this woman is still sitting there giving her order, but she keeps looking in the rear view mirror, kind of staring back at me and looking at the thing at the screen, like it's going to hand her food. Before she pulls up and sits and sits and sits. So my inside voice, the part that I don't like people to see, was getting frustrated. It's like, why is this woman taking so long? Just pull up if they're not, you know, just all this stuff's going on. And then I noticed the Connection Church sticker on her window. Now that takes me to another point. Please get a sticker and put it on your window so I know how to handle certain situations. Because my road rage is bad, but my drive through rage, you don't want to see that. Uh, sin, man, it's sinful. So I see the sticker and, and God gets a hold of me. And um, she finally pulls up and I'm thinking, man, she didn't even order. I'm going to order. They're going to give her my order. That's all I'm thinking, all these bad things, you know. 
So I go up there and I finally get my food, get back over here. We go through all the stuff this morning. I get my mic checked, go back in the back and I'm ready. Oh, I'm going to tear into it. I open up my sausage McMuffin and there's no egg on it. How do you make a sausage McMuffin with no egg? I mean, they even have pictures. I've seen them back there in the back in the kitchen. There's pictures. There are what a total of four items. There's bun, sausage, egg, and cheese. Four items. How do you miss one of those? So I said, okay, all right. Open the other one because it was two for $3. No egg. I was like, this is ridiculous. So I took a bite out of both of them. I have saved them and I'm going back there at 12 (laughs) o'clock. No, I'm kidding. I'm going to wait till in the morning when they're serving breakfast. Um, But we get so frustrated with things and, and, and frustrations in marriage are very common. Most of you know that when my main focus. I I serve as a care pastor here, but I'm a licensed counselor. I do a lot of marriage therapy and I hear a lot of frustrations and we experience those. So I want to hit on a few things today. And and one of the biggest things we'll talk about is communication because we know that it's necessary in marriage and all couples communicate one way or the other, whether it's in silence or in deafening yelling or slamming of doors and acting like we're three, but we all communicate one way or the other. But the number of words we use um, is, a, is a key to that. Um, men communicate to relay information. Women communicate to relate to each other. That's, a, that's a something that we, we all know. But we'll talk more about that later. So as we begin this series, Home for the Holidays, we decided that the first two weeks we're going to talk about marriage. And it's the first time in the history of Connection Church that Brandon's let me have two weeks in a row. And I don't know what that actually means, I thought I knew what it meant when I didn't have two weeks in a row. That was kind of obvious because it was, you know, the next week was just cleanup time after I left the stage. But two weeks in a row, I said, well, let's just divide this thing up. Let's talk to the men one week and the women one week. And then we'll have, that'll be everybody. Everybody will be good and ticked off by the third week when we talk about something else. So this is going to be men's week. All right. So women sharpen your elbows, get that ready. All right. Get your fingernails ready, do a little clutch on the leg, that sort of thing. But it's not just about Mary because God has his, I think he has intentions for what we're supposed to know. And that goes from singles all the way through marrieds, married agains, everybody. But we are going to focus on the men today and next week on the women. So women, you can do all your poking, all that kind of stuff, but remember your last, all right? You're going to be coming up next week and then it could be downhill after that, but um, we're going to start with the men. So I want to talk to you today about four things that I think God intends for us to know about women, men, four things that God intends for us to know about women. And the first one has to do with something that's near and dear to me because I have two daughters of my own. And that is that I think we are supposed to look at women as God's daughter. They're God's daughter. They are his little girl. And that's meaningful to me because I have two daughters. And those of you who have daughters, it's meaningful to you. Those of you who have kids, you understand it. And those of you who don't or or may one day, um, we'll bring you up to speed a little bit. But it is God's little girl. So a simple question is this. How does God feel about how you're treating his little girl? How does God feel about how you're treating his little girl? Single men, how does God feel about how you're treating his little girl. In the book of Genesis, when God creates woman, he takes her from Adam's side. 
not from Adam's foot or his backside. He takes her from his side. So it doesn't have anything to do with being stepped on or mistreated. Another interesting fact is that Eve had a relationship before she had a relationship with Adam. She had a relationship with God. She had a relationship with God first. Adam was asleep. If you read the text there, um, when he creates woman, he puts Adam to sleep, which probably didn't take much. Flipped on the TV and he was gone. But he's out like a light. God's busy creating woman. He wakes up. Wow, what a great nap, right guys? So he comes to and, and there she is. But the important thing is this, and this is an illustration I use almost on a daily basis. And it's my football goal approach to marriage. And did the Eagles play yesterday? I didn't hear. Anyway, um, <laughs> yep. I called all my Florida fans, you know, that I know and, um, that one guy and, um, he, uh, he said he wasn't going to church this morning. So I told him to come here anyway, they're busy looking for a coach. So our relationship is like a football goal. Men, you have a relationship with God. Women, you have a relationship with God. Those are yours. Those aren't shared. We share in them because they're not private. We've talked about that before, but those relationships are two that are those relationships you have on your own two feet in your marriage. I have a relationship with God. My wife has a relationship with God. Then we have a relationship with each other, right? These two relationships. And a lot of people say, well, yeah, then you got that stem going down to the ground that's to your children. And I say, nope, this is my floating goal. Don't take my illustration away. All right. Because I don't think we have the capacity to have three relationships like that. If we have a relationship with God and we have a relationship with each other, our kids are going to reap the blessings from those two relationships. But we can't do all three. Because what I see happen is most of the time this one fails and we justify these relationships with our children and neglect our spouses. So I think we concentrate on relationship with God and our relationship with each other. And too many of us find our identity in who our mate is or dating couples. You find your identity in your dating relationship rather than your identity in God. You say, he gets me nice things though. It's so wonderful. He buys me nice rings and proposes to me on the stage. <laughs> that is not up for grass for anybody else to do that. All right. Just by the way, that was a special event and it's over now. That was too much tension. I thought he was going to throw up back there in the backstage. <laughs> I did too, and I wasn't even asking her, you know, so nervous. So you say he gets me nice things, but I say, Jesus died on the cross for you. If you put your identity in the things that someone gets you, you're taking so much away for what Jesus did for you. Single girls, listen to me. What is your relationship about? What does it hinge on? What keeps him with you? Because if you're having sex with him, that's what's keeping him with you. Cut that off for a while and see how long he hangs around. That is a false God. He created you with a purpose and he created you for a purpose. And sleeping with your boyfriend, guys, sleeping with your girlfriend is not God's purpose. Man, how does God feel about how you're treating his daughter? You know, if we win something, you walk down these hallways in Statesboro High School, you see these trophy cases and, and man, we love trophies, don't we guys? You know, the older we get, the better we were, the faster we were. It's awesome. He tells some stories about the good old days, right? You know, I've, I've played in World Series championships and, and, you know, I never did, but I think I did. And I, I feel like those games were much bigger than they actually were probably. 
And, and we love to tell those stories. But when we think about trophies and we get trophies and, and we have these things, we put them on a shelf. We don't care for them. They get dust and every now and then we clean them, we take them out, we admire them and we put them back up on the shelf. But if we look at our wives, if we look at our girlfriends as God's daughter, if we look at them as a gift that God has given us, we are more likely to take care of them. It changes our entire attitude about who they are and what they mean. You see her as a daughter of the living God and you care for it. The second thing is that she desires to be led by a godly man. Now here's where a little tense, all right? She desires to be led by a godly man. Let's talk about what that looks like before you throw anything at me. I was doing a little bobbing and weaving at nine, but it was all right. Still got the quickness. See, talk about the old days. Let's talk about the man being a leader of the home. What I see in our culture are two different groups of men. The first group is the passive man, the passive man. And this is, this is, this is really funny because you can see this even at church. So if you go down to the children's area early in the morning, families are getting here and you walk in there and go to the little kids area. Okay. And the families come up there and they start checking their kids in. So mom goes up to the table and she's trying to check in and she's like, oh, don't touch that. Don't, 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 don't touch that. Don't touch that. Here, let me get this. Oh, what's your name again? And she's trying to check her child in. And dad is standing over here talking to the next dad in line while his wife is dealing with the kids over here. Right now, it's not a sin and it happens all the time. But what I see is a consistency of that where men are passive and kind of let their wives do everything. They just let them do it. And I'm going to hang out over here because I, you know, we're pretty clueless as men. We got to be told to do a lot of things, but that's what I see in, in passivity. The other group is the dictator. That, that dictatorial person who demands respect, who rules with an iron fist. Now, a great illustration I thought of was being that we're on the week of catching fire coming out. All right. So we decided to go to the premiere at eight o'clock Thursday night. We're excited about it. I love the movies. Don't judge me about those movies, but they're good movies. All right. The books are good. Terrible story. I know it. I know it. And yes, my son wanted to go to it. He's nine. Again, don't judge me. Don't email me. That was a decision we made as a family. All right. So he goes, but afterwards we were talking about it and he asked the question. He said, why is it that when they have that group of people there and they hold up those three fingers that somebody gets killed? I said, well, let me explain that to you. So this is what I think is going on. The government wants to instill fear in the people. So they kill somebody in front of everybody to instill that fear, to make them fall, fall in line with what the government wants them to do. I said, okay. And I think a lot of men run their houses like that with an iron fist, creating fear in their family, creating fear in their wives. And that is not God's intention. So there's the passive and there's the dictator. Genesis chapter three, when Eve is faced with the temptation of the serpent with the fruit, you know, we've read that, we've seen that. But the interesting thing was Adam didn't do anything. He didn't intervene. He didn't step up and do anything. Man, if you go home and your wife is having a conversation with a snake, are you gonna just walk out? 
He's probably going to call for help, most likely, right? You're like, gee, Manetti, I thought you had him in your head, but man, you're talking to him now. Just kidding. I'll get, I'll get him back, girls. I'll get him back. Um, so she's talking to the snake, and he does not step in. He doesn't intervene. He has this passive, passive approach. The other thing is Adam was with her the entire time. He was with her the entire time. And when it was all over with and God goes into the garden, who does he call for? He calls for Adam. He doesn't call for Adam and Eve. He says, Adam. And Adam begins this, I think, some stupid hide and seek game with God, which goes well, you know. He'll never find me in here. But he did. He's the only naked man running around in the garden. Oh, picked you out of a lineup. There you are, buddy. So he goes to him. Men, I say this because we are accountable for the way we lead our families spiritually. We will be held accountable for the way we led our family spiritually. Well, I provide financially. You can blow that out your rear, okay? Because you may need money at home, but she needs you to walk alongside her. She needs you to walk alongside her more than she needs your money. She needs you to step up as a spiritual leader in your home. She wants and needs you to step up and be a spiritual leader. Guys, I know it's scary. It is scary. It is awkward. It is weird to be a spiritual leader in your home. As of noon today, I will have stood up here and preached to over a thousand people, ministerially speaking. I don't know how many people we have here, but it's at least a thousand for my illustration. And that will go pretty well. I love to speak. I love to preach. And it gives me energy. But when I get home and need to be the spiritual leader for three children and my wife, it's awkward. It's scary. It does not make sense to me why it works that way. But I think one of the reasons is, is my wife's not impressed with me. Your wife's not impressed with you either, guys. She's seen you naked. All right. That's what it, that's the deal. They're not impressed with us because we bring validation to ourselves by what we do. We do with our hands, our work, all those types of things. That's not that important to her. She's not impressed. My kids aren't impressed with me. I've worked hard all day. I've seen eight or 10 clients in my office. I'm worn slam out. I get home and I expect that marching band to be playing when I walk in the door, sit on the sofa and somebody brings me a cold diet, Dr. Pepper. It doesn't happen. It's never happened. It's not supposed to happen. But they're not impressed by me. So I'm worn out. I get home and my son's not waiting there going, Daddy, you did a good job at work today. We are proud of you being such an awesome counselor for our community and helping people through their needs. He's standing there with a glove and a ball going, can we throw? It's like, can I throw up? I don't really want to do that right now. I'm tired. But God says to me, dude, you better get some energy because you're the one that's responsible for that kid. She doesn't need you to impress her. She needs you to walk alongside her. Man, just do it. Be a man who leads your family to church. Don't be dragged to church. Single girls, I got some questions for you. And these are going to hurt a little bit, guys. But bear with me. How's this walk with God? How's this walk with God? Because if he's not walking with God right now, you're not going to change it. You're not going to change it. Not your responsibility to change it, but you're not going to change it. If he's not coming to church with you now, I guarantee you he's not going to come if you marry him. 
He doesn't have to do anything once the prize has been won. If he sees you as a trophy, I guarantee you he's not coming. How does he handle his money? Oh boy, getting kind of close here. Scripture's clear. Where his treasure is, his heart will be also. It's going to continue. If he's buying things and they're selfish things, it's going to continue. 1 Timothy 6 verse 10 says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The love of money will cause grief. Many of us are in financial trouble because we're messing with something that's not ours. It's God's money to begin with, and we're messing with it like it belongs to us. It's going to be grief. It's the love of money, not money, but the love of money. Money is talked about more than anything else in the scripture. I think there's a purpose for that. Malachi chapter 3 verses 9 through 12 are some pretty difficult things to swallow as well. He says, but you ask, how are we robbing you? Talking to God. God's answer is in tithes and offerings you're robbing me. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. So how do we get from under this curse? I mean, do you think things are financially in turmoil for our country? Absolutely. How do we get out from under this curse? Verse 10, bring the whole tithe. Bring the whole tithe. Now that's not dropping a dollar in the bucket when it comes by. Unless you made $10 this week, you nailed it. Okay. If you made 10 bucks, you are right on target with that dollar. But a tithe is 10%. It's throughout the scripture and it's in the old Testament and it's in the new Testament. It is there. It is for real. It's what God commands us to do. He says, bring it into the storehouse. And what's the storehouse? When scripture, it, um, goes into, you can look it through all the texts, you can look through all the translations and the storehouse in the Old Testament was the temple. It is the church. It is not a parachurch organization. It is not a hospital. It is not all these wonderful things that we give to and we need to give to them. But we're commanded to give to them after we give our tithe. We give our tithe off of our gross income. It's very plain and simple. After that is the offering. We give offerings above and beyond. That's what one and one is. We do our tithe and then we give above and beyond that to one and one. Or we give it to other organizations that we believe strongly in. But that's what he's talking about here. Bring it into the storehouse. Then he says that there may be food in my house. And then he says, test me in this. One of the only times that you see God saying, put your money where your mouth is. I got this. Test me in it. Try it. Says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Everything we have is a gift from God. I'll give you a hundred dollars, God says, just give me 10 back. That's not a bad deal. Not a bad deal at all. And God blesses that. Just remember that God gave you the first $100 and he just wants $10 back. So girls, how is he doing with his money? What about his job? What about his job? 
Has he changed jobs every couple months? And when he gets with you, says, you know, everybody's stupid at work. If they just put me in charge, I would have this company running so good. I'm just going to leave. The next job he comes on, man, those people are idiots up there. And it's everybody else's fault that he's not at work anymore or he's not working. That's called a victim. And victims are not all that attractive. So stop being a victim, guys. And girls, if you're with a victim, let them be a victim with somebody else. You're not going to change it. Here's kind of a tough one. This is where I'm talking to all the singles, middle school, high school, college students. How does he do with his grades? How are his grades? What's his attitude about school? What is his attitude about his grades? Because if you're in middle school or high school especially, you don't have a life. All right? There's nothing really going on for you other than fun stuff, free food, and lodging. And school. God has given you stewardship over your grades. That's it. You should take responsibility for that. Girls, if they're not taking responsibility for their grades, do you think that God should bless them with a family? That's a big difference. The third thing that I think God intends for us to know is that the words we use are important to her. The words we use are important to her. Guys, we have a gift called compartmentalization, right? We can be focused on one thing and the rest of the world could be exploding and we are happy as we can be. It's a gift from God. Sometimes it's a curse when it comes to our wives thinking about those things because we probably need to be doing something else or they can't get our attention because we're focused so hard on something. But men use about 1,200 words in a given day, and women use about 12,000 words in a given day. Remember, men communicate to relate information just to get the point across, and you know, how, when, and where, and what to wear. And women communicate to relate to each other. You know, men, we don't even have to use words to say anything. The other day, we were somewhere with our family and walking along, and I see somebody that I know, and I just do this. Keep on walking. Well, my son Jordan, he, he looked at me, he goes, what? He caught it. He's like, what was that? I said, I just asked him how his mom and them were doing. And he said, fine. And he asked me how my mom and them were doing. And I said, fine. Oh, okay. He got it. It was like, oh, I got that. Yeah, I can do that. That's how we communicate. We don't even have to use words in order to communicate. It's a waste of time and energy in it for us guys. So we communicate very differently. But men, how are you doing with how you are communicating? You know, all I have to do is leave my house for illustrations in this community. Some things just seem to happen in front of me. So I'm at Walmart the other night and need to get dog food. So I'm in that back aisle there trying to get the 7,000 pound thing of dog food in the buggy. So I finally throw that in there and I'm walking through and I see this couple coming towards me. There's this guy in a sling on his arm he's got it like this and his wife is pushing the buggy so because he only had one arm I guess so she's pushing the buggy and it kind of caught my attention but I see her kind of reach around the buggy and she reaches up for this pickle jar and she reaches like with one hand on the top when she pulls it off she drops it and it's not this pickle jar it's this pickle jar the time saver big nasty jar the pickle's been in there for several years it was that jar it exploded like a bomb went off 
You know, I'm just thinking, oh, I got to get out of here. I didn't want any pickle juice on me or anything like that. But about the time I just about cleared them, I hear this guy and I wrote, I stopped in the next aisle and wrote this quote down. This is what he said. He says, what kind of idiot would reach up with one hand for such a heavy jar? Now that man is in two slings. I'm kidding. I wanted to wring his neck. I was like, God, I cannot believe that guy just said that to his wife. And I mean, all this glass on the floor, I was hoping she'd like pick up a shard of glass, like cut him or something, hit him with a pickle, do something. Just made me so angry. But I hear that kind of thing all the time. Some of you probably do that from time to time. But Romans chapter eight, verse one says, there is no condemnation in Christ. And if there is no condemnation in Christ, there should be no condemnation from us either. We're not called to condemn our wives. There should be no condemnation through us. Ephesians chapter five, we read these verses beginning with 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. So men, how are we supposed to make her holy? How are we supposed to do this? Well, read on. Cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So after a conversation with you, she should walk away without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, holy and blameless. You ask her, have you been around my wife? She's crazy. You married her. What does that make you? There's a difference between correction and condemnation. We don't condemn. If we need to correct, we correct. But never through condemnation. Another pet peeve of mine, men, stop making fun of your wives in public. Gosh, stop it. And our reactions, we're all good at this one. I could have a show of hands, but you'd probably not want to do it. Many of you pout and get silent. Ooh, that's a good one, isn't it? We all struggle with that. That was cool in third grade, but it's not now. Be a man. Communicate with your wife. Singles, if you're dating and he's verbally abusing you now, break up today. Seriously, break up today. Because if he's verbally abusing you now, you're not going to change that. It's not going to change. And you know why I know you're a wuss if you're doing that? You know why I know you're a wuss if you're putting your hands on your wife? Because you wouldn't put your hands on me. You might for a minute. I'm not a big guy. I can hang for a few minutes. And we got some guys barely saved in this church that so back me up. <laughs> we'll take you out. Guys, if you're constantly yelling at your wife and your kids, something is broken in your heart. Something is broken in your heart. Marriage magnifies things. You have anger issues. Luke 6, 45 says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. You are broken inside. You don't have a behavior problem. You have a heart problem that only can fix by Je- be fixed by Jesus. I was fine before she came along. She changed me. She didn't change you. She exposed you. She exposed you. 
And guys, I'm coming down pretty heavy on this because it sickens me. But what we want, we don't want anything from you, but we want something for you. If you're struggling with this, we want to help you. We want to come alongside you and help hold you accountable. Get you the help that you need. But keep your hands off of her. We want to help you. First Peter 3, 7. Husbands, in the same way, understand your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner, as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Understand your wives. Like, what? Really? That'll take me forever. Yep. That's the point. That's why we stay married and work on it forever. Understand your wives. Well, she doesn't have to understand me. He didn't command her to understand you. And you're not that hard to understand. We're guys. It's not that difficult for them, guys. We know that. We try to be deeper, but we're just not. She understands us just fine. But that's why Peter gets a word from God and says, man, understand your wives. You don't understand them the day you meet them. You learn to understand them every minute of every day. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. Your prayers will be hindered if you mess with daddy's girl. They're going to be hindered. The fourth thing is this. Three words. They sound alike. Pursue. 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 See how those rhyme? Pursue your wives. My wife, Lisa, enjoys Hallmark Christmas movies. Tis the season, right? Awesome. They are all exactly the same. We know that. But no matter what, they still make you cry. You know? Is it my first choice when we sit down? Let's watch a Christmas movie. No, it's not my first choice. There's not, nobody gets shot most of the time. Somebody might die, but it's some long, gruesome illness most of the time. But it's, nobody gets shot. There's not any chases, unless it's the guy at the end of it running towards the airport terminal to get her. (laughs) And we all cry. But it's just not exactly what I want. But you know what? I do that because I get to sit with her. I get to sit alongside my wife and spend time with her. This might gross you out, but I like to rub her feet. Those of you with feet problems, just turn your ears off. Don't throw up. I enjoy doing that. I love doing that for her because my love language is physical touch. We get in the car, I'm like this. I got to find her. I mean, I know she's in that seat. It's not that big of a car, but I got to put my hand on her. Hers is quality time. Those don't really have anything to do with each other when it comes down to it. But if we speak each other's languages, it goes so much further than me just speaking my own. If she reaches over and touches me, that's a totally different feeling than if I'm speaking my own language. If I offer and make time for us to spend time together, I'm speaking her language. If I move to Germany and I learn on Rosetta Stone how to speak in German and I get some Sprechensee Deutsch going on, but if I go over there, the longer I live there, the more I begin to understand the dialect, not just the language. I understand all the little nuances with the language when they say something like, oh, what was that hanging on the end of that right there? I, don't, I didn't get that one. 
but I begin to learn it. So we speak each other's languages more. And as we are together longer and longer and longer, it becomes second nature. So find out what your love languages are and speak them to each other. Guys, you have to be intentional. You're not going to accidentally pursue your wife. You don't accidentally happen to get it right. Married men, if you're pursuing your wife, you don't have time for an affair and you don't have time for pornography. If you're pursuing your wife, if you're spending more time playing Candy Crush or video games, stop it. Put the stupid iPad down on the sofa and spend time with your wife. Put your phone down. I go in restaurants and I see couples on their phones. I always just stop and ask them, y'all texting each other? I do it every time I see it. Every time. May not know them. May offend them. I think it's funny. Like, who y'all talking to? Like, right here. Texting each other. So stop doing that. If we spent the time with each other that we spend on those things, how much would be changed? How much would be changed in our relationships? Single guys, first of all, I love you guys. So you know I'm about to say something bad, right? I really love you. I want the absolute best for each of you. I want to see you see what God wants. I want you to see that clearly. I wish somebody would have gotten in my face as a teenager and helped me along this path. Even though I had good guidance, there's some things I made decisions on. If somebody would have just said, stupid, don't do that. Don't do that. I may have listened. Proverbs 18.22 says, he who finds a wife. It doesn't say she who finds a husband. He who finds a wife. If you think it's okay for a girl to pursue a guy, again, you're a wuss. It's not in the scripture. It's not there. Ladies, if you have to pursue, you will have to lead. If you have to pursue, you will have to lead. Fellas, don't honk the horn in the yard. Okay, don't honk the horn. Get your butt out of the car and knock on the door when you ask her out. This is after you've talked to her dad, right? Get permission. Do it the right way. It's also ridiculous to do it on social media. Oh my gosh, really? Don't post something on her wall. I like you. I may like you. Stupid. Man up. Come face to face with her, guys. Is it awkward? Is it uncomfortable? Yes, it is. Could she say no? Yes, probably will when she sees you, but still, <laughs> give it a chance. And girls, be honest. If you don't want to go out, say no. Just no. Never. It's not going to happen. Move on, guys. You ask her out, you pay for it, you open her door, you treat her like a lady, and you take her home with no strings attached. Girls, you can even let him know you're interested and you can quote scripture. Genesis chapter two, it's not good for a man to be alone. I thought of you. <laughs> Just do it. Married men, I got it. three questions. They're kind of the same, but they come across as a past, present, and future. And I want you to ask your wives these questions, okay? Ask your wife this, wives this question. What used to make you feel loved and appreciated? Things that I do. What used to make you feel loved and appreciated? And then go to the present. What makes you feel loved and appreciated? And then the future. What would make you loved and appreciated? What would make you feel that way? 
Go home and ask your wives those things. Take notes, write it down. And women, don't do it. No, you're thinking it, don't do it. You're just doing that because he told you to this morning. Don't you dare do it. Don't do it. Proverbs 27, 15 through 16. A quarrelsome wife is like the dripping of a leaky roof in a rainstorm. Restraining her is like restraining the wind or grasping oil with the hand. That's just a preview for next week. I'm just kidding. Let him ask the questions. Let him ask the questions and give him some honest feedback. Let him know how he's doing. You can't be defensive though, guys. When she responds, don't be defensive. Well, honey, I used to feel loved and appreciated when you opened the door for me. What? I opened the door for you last Christmas when we got to your mama's house. That's called being defensive. Don't be defensive. Listen to her. Men, it's about creating a safe environment for your bride to feel. It's about creating a safe environment for your bride to feel. Just let her feel. It may make everything uncomfortable for you, but it's not about you. Let her feel. God's not sitting on the sofa watching the sixth episode of Sports Center. He is off of the sofa. He is pursuing us. And we need to pursue our wives. Men, listen to me. It's time for us to stand up and be men. If just half of us in this room, half of the men in this room, if just half of us took hold of just half of the stuff I've given to you, we could change the world. We could absolutely change the world. God has called us to be men who stand up, take responsibility for ourselves and love our wives as Christ loved the church. It's a high standard because if you recall, he died for it. Let's pray together. God, this is not a comfortable subject and we've had some fun with it, but we know this is a serious, serious matter. God, it's my prayer this morning that you challenge us as men, encourage the women, that God, you are given glory for all that we have done here today and that we leave here with the joy of knowing that. But God, This is a huge moment for so many men and young men who are seated in this room today. We know that there are some men here today who have mistreated their wives, who've mistreated their girlfriends, and this hit them right between the eyes. And God, I pray that it hits them with your grace and with your compassion and knowing it may hurt and sting. It is the truth. It's the truth of the gospel message and what you desire for us. So God, work in our hearts right now. Mend those broken pieces that need to be mended.